With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to DST Radio, where we feature best in class insight and opinion from thought leaders and practitioners in the healthcare industry to help you stay informed to make the best decisions. Welcome back to DST Radio. I'm your host, Todd Youngblood, joined today by an individual with a really diverse background who has a keen interest in the use of information to support managerial and clinical decision-making to enhance patient-centered services. Please welcome Alan Thompson, Senior Consultant and UK Team Leader for the Adjusted Clinical Group System International Team from Johns Hopkins University. Alan, thanks for taking some time out to join us. You're very welcome, Todd. Uh, Alan, I mentioned your background, which I find quite intriguing. Just to kick us off here, give us a quick sketch of where you've been and what you've done and how you got to be where you are now. Of course. I, I started my career as a nurse. I trained as a nurse in the uh, in the 1980s and worked as a nurse for about 10 years. Then for the next 10 years, I did a variety of management jobs in hospitals in southern England. And then I gained an interest in the use of information and how information can help clinicians and hospital managers uh, improve their decision making and probably for the last eight years I've had a variety of roles uh, that have um, had that theme associated with them. I started to use the adjusted clinical groups or the ACG system uh, myself uh, five years ago and helped roll out the ACG system to a variety of primary care organizations in southern England, got to know the ACG team, and as a result, a couple of years ago, I was offered a role with them, which uh, was very flattering and uh, I was very pleased about. Well, I must say, it's certainly one man's opinion, but in my view, given just all the challenges facing healthcare, having a, a background like yours strikes me as something that's that's very valuable. But speaking of challenges, Alan, what what kind? What are the major challenges facing healthcare <laughs> in the UK? And also contrast it and compare it a bit, if you could, with the situation in the US. I, th- I think the, the 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 two biggest challenges that that we face, and I think is true of, of any health economy in the world, including the US, is that our population is aging. The number of over 65-year-olds and the number of eight, over 85-year-olds is increasing all of the time. To put some numbers on that, the number of people aged 65 and over is going to increase by 23% you know, over the next few years. Um, the second challenge we face is that as our population ages, the number of people that develop a chronic condition or a chronic disease is increasing as well. And and in England at the moment, there are over 15 million people who have uh, a chronic disease and they account for about 70% of the overall healthcare spend in England. I think the other challenges are there's never enough money. And as our population ages and, and demand increases, we just cannot keep up funding it to the same level that we have been. 
And my understanding is that those challenges are similar to the ones that you face over there in the U.S. Very similar to the conversations I have. Could you go into a little more depth, Alan? You talked about the chronic conditions, but there not there also a greater incidence of, of multiple chronic conditions? And that adds or just exacerbates the whole issue. Well, I think it's true to say that most healthcare systems around the world are have been developed uh, and are run on on the basis of treating individual diseases. Certainly my experience in hospitals is that you have specialties that are associated with respiratory disease and uh, you'd have a, another specialty that looks after cardiology and another specialty that look after people with kidney disease. But from the data that we've looked at, for our populations in the UK, and I know it's true in the US as well, people very rarely just have a single uh, chronic disease. So as an example, in a, a population that I've been doing some work with recently, people that have chronic obstructive pulmonary d disease or COPD, over half of those patients with COPD have at least three other chronic conditions. And people with diabetes very rarely just have diabetes. Over 80% of patients with diabetes in this population I've been working with have at least one other long-term condition or chronic condition. So to continue to only have a healthcare system that manages individual diseases to me seems a little... Well, I don't think it's sustainable. And increasingly, I think there's going to be a demand to put in place systems and, and care for people that treat them more holistically and look at the totality of their disease burden based on all of these different diseases that they have. You mentioned early on, Alan, the aging population is one of the challenges. Is this the multimorbidity? Is it limited to older folks or is that an issue as well in younger demographics? Well, that's really interesting because I think if you ask that question of most people that work in the health service, the answer would be that um, multiple chronic conditions and old age go hand in hand. But again, we've looked at our data and I've worked with other people in different parts of the English health system. And what we're realizing is that actually multiple disease burden isn't a phenomenon that's limited to older people. It commonly occurs across the whole of the adult population um, and it's particularly um, prevalent in people aged 45 to 65 which is not something people sort of intuitively think so the data that we're working with is, is providing new insights and is making people to start to think about different models of care that needs to put, put in place that don't just focus on the elderly. So we're looking at challenges, aging population, the multiple chronic conditions, more demand, increasing cost, lack of funding. Let's switch gears a little bit. What can we do about it? What are you doing about it? Within the UK and specifically within England, there's been a lot of um, uh, focus by central government and by uh, the people that manage the, the English National Health Service on unplanned hospitalization so people who need to be admitted to hospital when they have a crisis and there's a belief that you can actually prevent many of those admissions which are costly and you can you can right. put in place a, a cheaper intervention within primary care that prevents unnecessary expenditure 
and and keeps people out of hospital, which uh, you know is, is is clearly desirable. And and those kind of schemes have been in place for a number of years, and they need to continue. But I think increasingly, uh, and this is where there may be a difference between focus in the UK and in the US, um, we're starting to look at people further down the risk pyramid. So we're not looking at just the top 2% of people who carry the highest risk and who are the most costly. We're starting to look at that bit of the pyramid from 3 to 5% and, uh, and start to understand what the needs are of people that sit in that part of the, uh, the pyramid. Further down the pyramid, as you say, what's the focus here? Is it more, obviously, prevention, but I would think, is education a big piece of that? It is. Ironically, I, I, you know, I think there's, there's an element of education of healthcare professionals um, in terms of changing the focus from one that can be a little bit reactive to one that's a little bit more proactive. And maybe I'll say a little bit more about that uh, later on. But I think, yes, education of patients and education of their carers is, is key. We know that one of the things that um, drives hospital admissions is that people wake up and they're short of breath or you know they have some chest pain and their immediate reaction is to panic, understandably, and perhaps to call an ambulance and be taken to a hospital. But these are things that are common and natural in some diseases and if people understand that and we can educate them and we can explain that uh, these things will happen from time to time and and educate them that there are alternative sources of help then perhaps we can um, prevent unnecessary hospitalization and improve the quality of these patients lives one thing you haven't mentioned yet, Alan, is coordination of care. How big a factor is that, and, and what kind of successes are you having in that regard? The National Health Service in in the UK, uh, in my experience, can be a little disjointed. Some of that's related to the way in which different parts of the healthcare system are funded, and some of that is just human nature, that we're, we, we sometimes find it difficult to ensure that we're communicating effectively. There's a number of schemes that are being put in place around the country now whereby there's not necessarily any new investment of money, but the effort is going in to ensure that all of the different organisations that could be involved in a patient's care and are involved in a patient's care are better coordinated for that individual. And we're seeing the emergence of uh, roles such as clinical care coordinators who support the patient and the carer, but they're also ensuring that all of those different um, healthcare professionals are talking to each other and sharing information with each other. Talk a bit, Alan, about some of the new, newer tools and techniques that are being applied, particularly with the information technology. There is. Uh, there's an adage in, in the UK that the, uh, the National Health Service is one of the most information-rich uh, healthcare organisations in the world, but it's, um, no, it's data-rich and it's information-poor. We've got excellent healthcare records, electronic healthcare records. We've got a primary care healthcare record that I know clinicians in the US would be very jealous of, but we're not so good at using that information. And we're also not very good at making sure that we join up information systems from primary care with those from hospital care, from those that are providing uh, care in the community. So there's a big focus around the country at the moment in terms of integrating data. And 
my belief is you, you know you can't have integrated care if you don't have integrated data so that's that's one thing that's happening another thing that's happening in parallel is that we're using more sophisticated software so we're in the uk i think we're probably 10 or 15 years behind the us in the use of risk stratification tools and risk stratification methodology but we're catching up it was a f- new phenomenon to me five years ago uh, when i started to use the acg system but that's now in use by about 20 percent of uh, healthcare organizations or primary care healthcare organizations in the uk and we're beginning to understand the power of that type of software and the power of the information that those types of tools produce i'd be interested in your perspective alan is it I'm sure it's a combination of the two things I'm going to mention, but is it more a lack of the technology tools themselves or is it more knowledge about how to use and apply those tools? Again, it's probably both. I think one of the biggest challenges we face in the UK, and I know that this is a, uh, an issue with other countries such as uh, Sweden and Denmark that I've done a little bit of work with, permission to use data um, to undertake activities like risk stratification can be very difficult and the laws surrounding how you use those data uh, can be quite convoluted and difficult but once you work through that i think the challenge is less the technology and more the application um i think uh, we're talking about new analytical techniques um i think when talking about integrated data sets that people haven't come across before and and people are only just beginning to understand what the art of the possible is so a lot of the work that i do with um uk users of the acg system isn't so much about how to use the software it's how to interpret the data that comes out of that software and how to align what that data is telling them with their priorities and with the kind of care programs that they're trying to put in place Look to the future a bit, Alan. What what do you see coming down the road at us, both in terms of the, the tools, the techniques, and, and the, the ability of folks, as you were just uh, talking about, the ability of folks to, to actually apply all these tools? I think probably two things. One is that I think people will start to use these data to gain a much better understanding of their health needs of their populations and that they will start to make decisions based on reality and fact rather than based on what they've done the year before or the year before that plus two percent say i think the other thing that's going to happen is we're going to start to see the emergence of different models of care and i talked earlier on about um, a disease-led model there's one or two organizations that i'm working with that are starting to think about people's healthcare needs based around the burden of their multiple diseases and that they're starting to be more proactive in bringing those patients into a consultation and working with them and their families over a period of time to educate them about their disease to understand how those different diseases interact in that individual and to put programs of care and support in place that manage that person as an individual rather than as somebody who has a series of different diseases. 
Alan, I hear a lot about compliance, or really lack thereof, of individual patients with what their physician team is recommending. Do you see this data, or how do you see this data getting out that next level to the general public, to the individual patient, in their own self-management of their probably conditions? I would say that in my experience, and particularly in my experience as a nurse, is that no two people are the same. Everyone's an individual. Everyone is educated to a different level. People understand things in a different way. And it's only through working with people at an individual level that you're going to start to crack that nut that is getting people to comply. I think there will always be some people who, even though they fundamentally understand the risks associated with a particular lifestyle, will continue to adopt those behaviours. But I think through more personal and one-to-one interaction with individuals and their carers, I think that's probably the way that we will start to um, uh, help people be more compliant. And as I said earlier on, I think we're slightly further behind in the UK than you are in the US in terms of that proactive care and and catching people earlier on in their disease life cycle and, uh, and providing that education support earlier on. Alan, I hate to say it, but we're uh, running up on the clock that's going to make us stop here. Before I let you go, I want to make sure that folks know how to contact you and also to get more information about your work in the ACG system. The best place to get more information about the ACG system is www.acg.jhsph.org. And there is a UK section of that if people are specifically interested in what's happening in the UK. In terms of getting hold of me, my email address is athompson at acg.jhsph.org. And I'm happy to receive emails from anyone that would like to find out more. Alan Thompson, Senior Consultant and UK Team Leader for ACG Systems International Team. From Johns Hopkins University, thanks for joining us today and sharing all your insights. You're very welcome, Todd. It's been great talking to you. That wraps this episode. On behalf of our guest, Alan Thompson, I'm Todd Youngblood. Thanks for listening to DST Radio. Thank you for listening to DST Radio. For more information or questions, you can contact DST Health Solutions at 800-272-4799 or email us at marketing at dsthealthsolutions.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.